direct from the six, world-renowned, Canada's largest city, with Canada's biggest thinkers, visionaries, and hustlers. This is Startup Talk, featuring the founders, funders, innovators, and community leaders who've led Canada's startup ecosystem right here in Toronto. You'll hear the challenges, the failures, the successes. Toronto's Startup Podcast gives you the full story direct from the entrepreneurs and influencers who've made a difference. Now, the host of Startup Talk, the founder of Toronto Starts, the Startup Coach. That's where we are, and we want to help people, and we want to get started, so welcome to Startup Face Off. I think this is the sixth one we've done, and we've brought back Will and Mitt from the first one, and we have a newbie with us today. Ziba, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Ziba Dantis. As I mentioned, I own Sway Management. We're an influencer marketing and brand building company. I, uh, prior to starting the company last year, I worked in public relations. So I worked a lot, very heavily in media relations, pitching journalists, um, working with brands to communicate their stories. I have a lot of experience with wine and spirits, uh, some cannabis, automotive. I've worked with Warner Brothers, lots of, uh, of very fun campaigns. And throughout that trajectory, um, influencer marketing was kind of a little baby and grew into something before we had a term for it. Uh, And over the years, I had a lot of opportunity to captain influencer projects for the different brands I was working with. So last year when, when COVID hit, I had a couple of clients and uh, word of mouth spread. And I kind of figured it out. I could, I could tap into something. There was something there. So had the chance to get more clients, build the business. And here we are a year later, almost uh, we're at 10 clients and I have a team working with me. So it's been very exciting. Congratulations. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And Will, over to you. Uh, Yeah, my name is Will Greenblatt. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Outloud Speaker School. We help founders and executives and their teams tell powerful stories. My background is in acting, uh, and I grew up as an actor, a child actor. I went through the business for years and years, then I hated it. I left, and I ended up uh, becoming an English teacher abroad. I went first to Spain and then to China, where I started my first company. Uh, And then now uh, I work with companies like Google and Wayfair and Ericsson, but also a lot of entrepreneurial companies like DMZ, Techstars, Founders Institute, and companies like that. And my passion is early stage entrepreneurs and helping them work on their pitch to get investment money and to grow their business. Uh, and right now I'm running a course called uh, the Powerful Pitch Online Bootcamp. So I'll, I'll put some information on that if anybody's interested in a, an intensive pitch coaching course. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll, we'll have time for, make sure you put the link in the chat room there and we'll cool. ask you about that at the end. And Mitt, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Craig. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Mitt. I'm a partner at Galleon CPA. We're a boutique accounting firm working with uh, real estate investors and startups. Uh, outside of that, I've also uh, worked in a capacity as a CFO for a couple of different startups, predominantly uh, self-driving and now insurance analytics. So uh, kind of exciting because uh, self-driving obviously in Canada is, is deep tech and very unheard of. Uh, we made an aftermarket add-on that provided self-driving to regular vehicles. And now uh, we're using those same self-driving models to do insurance analytics to be able to help uh, commercial fleet drivers with it as well. We might as well get started. Uh, Ziba, why don't you introduce the first topic? Okay, perfect. Uh, So you guys have heard about me and my experience over the last year. Um, It's been tumultuous for most people to say the least, whether entrepreneur or not. Um, My question is after a year like 2020 with COVID with the Black Lives Matter and all of the socio-political unrest that's been happening overall and tension in general, after enduring a year like that um, for new businesses, small businesses, what would you say should be the priority? And even for your own businesses, what is the priority when it comes to uh, growth or your company? Is it growth? Is it stability? Is it growth through marketing? What would your advice be? And then Second to that, what are you doing? On my end, I, I guess I, you could say, you know, I was pretty fortunate, I guess, during 2020, my business did continue to grow. Um, we were able to help a lot of different business owners as well. Uh, one of the things that we realized, especially with a service-based business, is that your time is very limited sometimes. And uh, you want to be helping a lot more people, especially when we were on Toronto Starts before, we would have a lot of different startups reaching out. And there was just a time limitation into how many people you could actually help. 
Um, and funny enough, near the end of last year, and, and you probably noticed if you've uh, you know seen me on Instagram, is that I started doing a lot of things that I wouldn't normally do, which is being on social media and actually uh, communicating with people uh, through it. So going live Monday to Friday on YouTube on my channel uh, is a way to keep people sort of up to date on like what's happening in the financial markets, what they can do with that. Um, and it was really a way for me to be able to hit a broad range of people, um, whether some people liked it or not, like I just had to get over that fact. And one of the, that was one of the things I guess last year taught you is that great, there's going to be, there's always a sect of people who are always going to be interested in what you're doing. And there's always going to be some people who are going to disagree with you and you just have to accept it and, and go forward with it. Um, and especially to address some of the challenges, especially with working remotely and stuff like that was really looking to systematize uh, the business and then also understanding to say that just because everyone's working from home and you're stuck at home doesn't mean you're available all the time. So making sure that, you know, myself, team members, even other people that we're working with just block times for their person, like for personal or just like self-care, if, if that's a better term to put it. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's a really um, a great answer and also something that I, I've experienced as well, which is like, the growth of my business, which I wasn't expecting. Cause when COVID hit, I thought that was it. I actually thought my company was going to go under and I was spent about a month panicking and mourning my company's death before it even happened. And then I kind of, you know, pick myself up and went, all right, well, there's an opportunity here. And which will relate to my question, but the, the pivot from in-person service-based events and then pivoting to virtual events and virtual service providing. And, you know, trying to deal with that growth while going through you know, as you mentioned, all the social and political upheaval that's kind of going around, you know, it has been a really interesting challenge. But as Mitt said, finding stronger systems for my time and yeah. making sure that, okay, if we are going to grow, then everything I'm doing during the week has to be, you know, mission critical, this thing people keep saying, but it has to be, okay, what is going to actually really help my business grow, but still be stable, not grow too fast without the resources. And what is just kind of fluff and around the edges, wasting time. So I really had to cut out a lot of activities that I like to do or that I was doing and say, that's just not possible to keep going. Um, and I had to hone the business model as well. So interestingly enough, honing the business model helped with the marketing because before my business model was not as clear and clear cut and well-structured. And I was kind of like, well, we provide this and we provide that for these people. We're kind of, you know, going to a lot of different, uh, different comers and different market segments. And then once I kind of went, okay, well, we need to really focus on these segments here to actually get this stuff done. Then the marketing became that much easier because yeah, we were able to, to have a message that really spoke to the people that we were now deciding we were going to focus on. So I would say that would be my advice too, to somebody who's struggling with their growth and stability at this time is really make sure you can cut out the stuff that's not helping you and say, this is what we're doing right now. Focus on it, laser focus on it and niche down. And then the marketing will be easier. Your time will be less constrained and you'll be less distracted and that will help you uh, ultimately grow. Yeah. Yeah. And we're kind of in a position where it's okay to move slow. It's okay to figure things out and work through those little knots that come up and then figure out the process or the systems and then kind of go from there and build from that. That was what I found was the biggest benefit was nobody's pressing you to, to go from zero to a hundred. We're in a pandemic. We're in all of these things, all of us. So it was okay to, to move slow, figure things out and take things kind of baby step. Yeah, so I'm sure. probably the exception here where my business kind of uh, meteor uh, cratered uh, where everyone else growed in 2020. Um, our business model has to change, you know, and a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, we're uh, in in 2020, we're moving forward in a different way based on that. So marketing and whatnot. But what I'm a little different. So I look at now, if I take a look at the businesses I work with and a lot of startups I help. Um, there, I talked to VCs and all the, if you're looking for funding, they want to know, what did you do during COVID? Did you sit still or did you grow? What did you do to change the market? And if you did nothing, they're not interested. They're simply going to walk away. So 
you they really have to grow their market is there they're trying to figure out you know some companies are in different um, spaces where rules are changing companies like willfuls and stuff where digital signatures are they being they're allowed and not allowed um, there's some people in the delivery service business that can do alcohol but can't do alcohol because the <laughs> depending on you know what what the rules of the province are this week the covid rules are and whether um so there's a lot of things afoot here and people are trying to pivot to find their uh, clients at ground like i talked to uh andy um dot work and they used to be a uh, basically an assistant they pitched a few times, if you remember these guys, uh, Baba and the crew. Mitt, uh, you remember them, and I'm sure Will, you do. They pitched a few times at our, and they had a, a assistant that would schedule meetings and whatnot for you. You could just say, Andy, do this, and Andy, do that. But now they're a um, contact tracing app. They're a COVID um, curbside pickup app um, and a wait time app. So if you're looking, if you're going to the grocery store anywhere near, they have 8 million locations. And so they now have to reach out to all those people. One, there's the pivot. And the two is the market, right? Because all these businesses used to rely either on walk-in traffic, face-to-face, Will and I, you know, we'd be doing a live events. And, you know, Mitt was part of that. We we're trying to bring the crowds to us and, and get those live engagements. And it's much harder now um, to have that same those same immediate relationships because I'd run three or four live events a week. It was easy for me to network. It's not as easy for those people who don't do that. But uh, so everything has to change. So it's getting in front of your market and changing your value proposition because um, it's not it's not the same as it used to be for almost everybody. And, and I would say I think people did struggle with that. I guess at the beginning of COVID, there were so many Zoom events and things that people could attend and go to. Like I, I can't, I you know, I'm sure you all can recall all the 10 million invites that you were given events to attend to, so that you give business keep going. And then it just slowed down. And I guess it, it's very. I find it very interesting that the result of all of that was that like now Clubhouse is like really. Uh, become something more popular and interesting. Like I even find myself uh, going on Clubhouse, listening to different talks or even participating and speaking in some of them. I guess it gave you a a good enough format that it allowed sort of anybody involved to participate per se versus some of a lot of these events, they had predetermined speakers and you're like, well, there could be somebody who's in the audience who has a really good opinion or good question and um, cherry picking them all the time wasn't necessarily always the best. And, it's really interesting what you're saying too, Mitt, uh, about um, yeah, the new the new ways that people can kind of get in front of their market, or or, or um, yeah, different ways that they can present value to the people they're they're trying to. And and I love the way you've been talking about it. Like, who can you help, and what can you do to like provide information to your market? The fact that you're getting on YouTube Live every day and just saying this is what's going on with the financial markets. You know, you're you're proving your expertise, but you're also providing somebody with a really good. Um, tangible benefit from tuning in to listen to you. So I would say for the other thing to anybody watching is like, start putting yourself out there like that. Um, Mitt, I'm curious, like you said you had to get over that thought of, oh, are people going to like this or not? Um, What was it that ultimately allowed you to break through that initial wall and say, okay, I'm going to start putting stuff out there. If people don't like it, whatever. And if they do, awesome. And I'm just going to do it to do it. Well, for like 10 years, I've been telling myself I was yeah. like, go on YouTube and that it, it would make sense. But I kept saying, well, I'm a professional. Professionals aren't on YouTube. It's right. uh, just random people or like, you know, the guy who's the CEO of BlackRock after proving himself for like 30 years is going on and is speaking. Why am I going to go up and speak there? But mm. what I end up doing anyways, in a natural format, is I've been to a lot of live events, I've spoken to a large number of crowds. It's like, okay, the credibility is already there. Sure, there, there can technically be a technical expert or someone who's been in the space a lot longer or has done a s- similar type of activity. But this is just my take and my opinion. Like you take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, actually, the way I looked at it was that uh, as I got involved with startups and stuff like that, I was just very involved and narrow-minded in my own business. Like I used to know a lot of more of what was going on in the world and what was actually happening in the financial markets and how to interpret that information, not just for my business, but just as a whole of what you should be potentially be looking out for and doing. And as I started thinking about that, I was like, you know what, I actually need to like focus myself to get back into there. So you know what, this is going to be a great way where I could do this. I'm forcing myself to do this because I have to do it on camera as well. But I'm going to do something that I want to do anyways. So especially if you you have your own startup and you know, you think you're somewhat of a thought leader in it, or you're working on something that you're trying to like push ahead and you know help a lot of people. 
that content is always going to be there. So someone can go back and watch and see everything about, you know, who you are from a credibility standpoint, if you had to, or you also maybe just catch people who randomly tune in. So yeah, I go live on YouTube, but at the same time that gets streamed onto Instagram live as well. So sometimes random people will find it and come aboard. I also fortunately was able to jump on the wave of reels when they first came out. So that took my, I guess my business Instagram page to grow a little bit bigger. I'm, I'm not really a large size. I'm 1500 uh, followers or whatever, but um, it's more than enough where I, I used to think people didn't really pay attention, but I started having people say like, oh my God, I find this super valuable. Yeah. Like I actually tune in every single day or I listen in. Uh, I actually did something with it. And you realize like, you know what? There's so many clients that I deal with and people you probably pitch to or talk to or try to sell your product to who are constantly denying you. There's always gonna be a random person who's gonna find you online or somewhere and say, you know what? I This is super interesting. Like I, I really need this. And you're like, what the heck? I, I didn't ex- like, I didn't expect this. And you know what? It's, there's a lot of people who are always looking for answers and it's like wherever you can provide it, I guess the better without it being a one-to-one return of like you go into a live event is whoever's there can only hear you versus yeah. on the on online platforms, this sort of evergreen content where people can um, at least um, get access to some of that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and the earlier you start, the better you get, you know, like I just started during COVID um, after all, obviously plugging it to everybody else being like, you know, you got to become a great public speaker and, and, you know, teaching them how to do that, but really not doing it myself and living that. And then when COVID came, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Start putting out content. And the first few videos, if I look at them now, I go, oh God, that's terrible. I didn't have the right thing and the whatever, but they've gotten better and they'll still get better. And now they're, I'm, we're fi- I'm finally seeing, seeing the returns on those as people are, I'm getting clients from people who have found me completely through social media marketing, which I, which I you know, always thought of as just like, you have social media so that it's there, but it doesn't actually do anything for you. But of course, I, I, would, would, uh, I would say there's one thing that I guess anyone who's looking to sort of incorporate that should think about is like, don't expect like your return to be immediate or you're yeah. going to get a return. Like if you think of it that way, a lot of people, and I guess it's the instant gratification of like our generation, I guess, is that everybody wants it like immediately, like, okay, boom, I hit this button. I can trade a stock. I can do whatever. So it's like, I put a video, no one likes it. Oh my God, I feel terrible, horrible. Oh, like I'm, I'm a failure. And it's like, no, 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 you're not like, it's going to be fine. It's like, you got to keep doing it to get better. Like you got to do a hundred shitty ones and then the good ones will start coming. hundred yeah. percent. I agree with you. Like my first YouTube video, I was like, hello (laughs) and i'm here to talk to you about taxes and it's like all right now it's like it's sort of more of a conversation that's great and then it starts yeah and then and then you uh you find you find your rhythm you find your comfort zone and and you find your audience i think it's just like i tell people it's just like working out right when you when you first go to the gym or you start a new activity like you're not an expert level at this like you're not going to go in and you know outlift like a bodybuilder you're you're just going to go do whatever you can so Pretty much with this, you got to just do whatever you can. Uh, A lot of people will either place like, oh, I need the best camera. I need the best mic. I need the best whatever. I started just going YouTube live on my laptop. And I'm like, you know what? It does 80% of the job. Yeah, I'm not going to beat maybe like a production studio, get where I need to. But it'll give enough validation that, you know what, is this worthwhile to even pursue? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be great. It just has to be good and not bad, really. Like people have to hear it. It has to be visible. Um, you know, it, once you, it's better if it's better and it sounds great. But if you can deliver value, then people are listening and they care. So, you know, it seems like the, the answer around the table is marketing. You know, everyone's still looking for funding, but it's getting uh, audience. So, you know, where should we all be doing that, Ziba? <laughs> that's I mean that's the constant of, of the day right there's like the king of social media which in a lot of people would say is Instagram Instagram has so many different functions too that you can do you've got guides reels videos stories you've got everything there um, but then also there's the value in being an early adopter of things like Clubhouse or like TikTok when it came out historically, I am not one to preach. I'm not, I haven't been the earliest adopter, but I learned my lesson. And for the last few apps, TikTok Clubhouse, I was on there at least learning the space. And we have some examples. We have a couple of influencers who in in one weekend, uh, one of our clients got like 2000 followers on Clubhouse because he was just on there talking about being an influencer, creating beautiful content. He, uh, he does like travel and lifestyle content. 
he's a male, he's South Asian. It's like, he's got a lot of added value just in his own, uh, who he is. Uh, and then he's been able to get consults. Businesses want to hear from him about creating content. He has like people from Atlanta saying, Hey, let's do a one hour call. Um, so in terms of where people should be, it, it really depends on your goals, what you're trying to do. But I say at least test the waters with wherever you're comfortable. If you're comfortable doing fun dances on TikTok, try it out and see where it goes. Or if you want to try like fashion videos on TikTok or cooking videos, try it, see if it works and learn. And we all love this word pivot. This, there's going to be books written on the word pivot. <laughs> in I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near a dancer, but I, I did some dance TikTok videos too. You did it. Oh, I can't. I can't stand those videos. So I, it is one of those things that make me when I see them posted, I unfollow people. So that leads me into it, it's just me. Now I go I I do this stuff every day and I everybody's here watched me before. They know I'm an old curmudgeon now. It's all right. I mean, you I rolled my eyes when you started talking about all the Instagram features. I've got um depending on, you know, Toronto starts is twelve thousand, startup coach has 11,000 um my that craig major has 10,000 followers on instagram i stopped really doing a lot of it when they started doing reels and instagram tv and all this other stuff because now all of a sudden it's i have to create all this other content to reel me in so TikTok, clubhouse house party dub smash reddit instagram facebook youtube whatsapp telegram zoom you know as we all trying to be more connected, I have to ask, when is being too social or being social too much like and becoming unhealthy? How many channels do you limit yourself to? And, you know, recently a friend of mine, I don't know if you know this, a uh, public speaker, Bobby Umar, um, who's all over LinkedIn and everywhere. He does LinkedIn live all the time. And um, he hopped on Clubhouse really hard and he had thousands of followers. And, you know, I've seen his spreadsheet because I was going to go on and do a few uh, presentations with his groups. And he's like, oh, you, we can slot you in here and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, whoa, I started backing away. I was just going to do one session. I, and he had recently did a post saying he had to stop. Like his, he was missing dinners with his kids. He was doing all this stuff. And I see the attraction with Clubhouse because we want to have these conversations. We're not allowed to hang out with our friends. We used to have it. I can, I, hey, I use Clubhouse for this. Three o'clock in the morning, I'm awake. I'm having my coffee. I'll tune into Australia or whatever and start listening or whoever because it's startup talk from a different place. But I find um, it's, after a while, it's all noise and it's taking you away from what Will was talking about is you got to focus on your business. You got to focus on the things that matter. Um, so how much of this unhealthy one personally and how, and unhealthy for your business? Um, and where do you stop? Well, I, I think like pretty incontrovertibly, the answer is it's already unhealthy for us as human beings. There's no like, I don't think there's really much doubt of that anymore, that the level to which we are sedentary staring at our screens, which are taking us to somewhere that are not actually where we are, which is proven to be really bad for your mental health. That's kind of a new reality that's really scary, but it's it's almost like we've we've jumped, we've gone too far. There's no real coming back from that as a society, you know, which it's it's scary and there's not, I'm sorry to make it sound so bleak, but it just, it's really what it seems like. There's no, there's no way that this is good for us. And in fact, it's really damaging to us. So the only thing you can do as an individual and with your little community and your family is try to practice good habits. And there's something that I've been thinking about recently, which is, you know, a lot of content creators who like are getting in trouble or who are saying really stupid things or, or, or not thinking before they speak or commenting on things that they don't know. I, I start to, to think about it. The more I've been creating content, you kind of go, well, yeah, of course they're jumping on to talk about this news item because they've created a, a momentum that they can't get out of. So something happens in the news. They're like, well, my audience needs a video. So I'm just going to get off. I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm just going to get up here and start rambling. And then, of course, they get in trouble. Or, of course, they say something stupid because, yeah, there's this kind of machine that is going with or without them. And I think that is a psychological thing that's probably really, really good to try to get out of. It's just going, okay, I'm going to create this content, but I'm not going to let that dictate my personal life. If I can't post something this week, that's fine. 
I'm not going to be a slave to consistency and a slave to people, you know, who, who, or, or a slave to the algorithm, which needs feeding. I'm just going to say, this is what I can do. I had to take a break from social media for the past couple of weeks. Cause I was going through a rough time and I was just like, this isn't good for me. I can't just be looking at this stuff and engaging with it and answering comments just to boost my feed. It just doesn't, it's not helping me personally. So you know, I, I'm always a fan of those people who look at entrepreneurship as a long game and you really have to take care of your mental health first. I try to push that as much as possible. So if you're gaining followers and if you're growing your revenue, but you are feeling like shit and you're approaching burnout and your relationships and life is falling apart, like your friend, you know, who's missing dinners with his kids. And then what are those metrics for? you're not building anything stable and sustainable. So I think, yeah, I think it's really important that whatever you do decide to do as a commitment to social media, it's not, um, yeah, it doesn't allow you to, you don't allow it to rule rule your life and you can kind of get away from that um, treadmill a little bit. Will, that's why you got to get yourself someone like Ziba who's going to handle that for you. Right, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's right. So, yeah. That's a really good question. So Ziba, what do you find? Do you find it easier psychologically to, to curate other people's content? Uh, do you find that it's less anxiety inducing? So um, first I'll say for a lot of our clients, we don't create the content or manage their pages. We help guide them along the way. Uh, we have a couple of clients who were not influencers in the definition of the word pre-COVID or a couple of years ago. And then I helped um, transition them into that as kind of traditional media, for example, was, was it, it's whittling. <laughs> um, so, but I do manage a couple of pages for clients and definitely, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like taking care of someone else's baby, right? You can, you can look after it, you can do your thing, you do a good job and then it's out of your hands. That's you did your, you did your time. Um, but, and, and to the point of mental health and managing platforms and pages and everything, I think, it's twofold, right? On on the one hand, the people who can step away are usually the people who are privileged enough, who've already built up that audience um, to be able to do that. And the other people still feel like they're just privy to the algorithm trying to make every, anything and everything click. Um, and then the other side of that is like being in the right headspace, right? Being aware of things, taking a step back to look at things. Like we talk about Black Square Instagram from last year in June. And it's like, how many people are talking about things now? How many people carried their conversation through? How many people didn't even think about it and use the wrong hashtag for crying out loud, like in the post. And and then there's the people who don't know what the hell to say, because like you said, Will, you know, the wagon is already moving. So they have to get on or, or, be quiet and just let everyone else kind of take their place is what a lot of influencers were feeling um, mm-hmm. during June of last last year and now even. So it's, it's such a fine dance that everyone is doing. And I think ultimately people need to like get a little smack on the wrist and, and take a step back and really evaluate how much they're committing evaluate how much they should be committing and um and then and then also be smart about what you're hearing and seeing don't just post a black square because someone else another 20 people did it um because if you do that you're going to use the wrong hashtag and then everyone's going to come at you so i think uh there's so much there it's so complex yeah I would say it's kind of also difficult too, right? Because for some of these individuals, they, they've definitely got to post They Like they have an audience. And if they don't post and the audience is like, well, you don't have yeah. an opinion. You're not talking about it. But if they have an opinion, they talk about it. They're now, you know, there's like a potential witch hunt against them uh, for, you know, not believing exactly what they did, which I, which is funny because nowadays, I guess there's, you have more average people who have to go through what celebrities have had to go through for a really long time, or like even politicians who were like the center of attention where somehow you're put on a pedestal to be thinking of like, Oh, they know all they should be better. But it's like, come on, bud, look in the mirror. There's no way you would act. You you would do the exact same thing, the same scenario. Right. So I think um, it's, it's something that people also have to take that into consideration as well when they're having that conversation. There's of course going to be a bunch of influencers or even people in general who are making decisions where they're like, I think this is right. Like, I guess if we tie this back to say COVID and the government and stuff like that too, it's like, they just did what they thought was right. Similarly with some other startups when they were like, you know what, I think we're going to pivot and this is what we're going to do. 
that was their opinion. That's what they decided to do. And sometimes as a customer, you might be like, I don't like what you're doing. So what you do is you no longer follow them or use their product. So uh, as much as I think you can say, like, don't participate in it, I think uh, it's something where if you have your opinion, I think a lot of where social media is going is more or less uh, the authenticity, authenticity of the individual. And so it's like, if you have an opinion, that's your opinion, that's fine. Um, if it's not the most common opinion, you're going to not have as many followers. And if you do, you have a, and that's, and that's how it works. Right. But you'll then potentially be called out for being a bandwagoner if you follow along with uh, the most common trends and things as well. So I think being authentic is, is the most important part. Um, as an, as an accountant or like a CPA, right. Like a lot of people look at us being like, Oh, we're, uh, we're the quieter conservative type who don't really say much. And it's like, no, no, we're just regular. Like some of us are just regular people too, who have a personality, you know, you, we don't, we're not just monotone individuals. So um, that was what was sort of shocking on our platforms. I, Will, I definitely agree there, there definitely can be burnout. I was uh, fortunate enough that I just found someone to help me manage the platforms and stuff like that. Like, obviously I'm still very responsive in, in there. I still make the content, but I found the editing, posting, and sometimes just like, you know, commenting on other stuff, which may not, we might be just be like a similar response they would get. Uh, I look to sort of like systematize and automate. Yeah. That a bit. And to be yeah. clear, I have an amazing uh, uh, member on my team who who helps me with that. So I don't want her to feel like uh, she's yeah, not yeah, getting yeah. recognition. But yeah, it's it's for me, it's more like the um, yeah, the you know, she she can only do so much and she's incredible and she does like way more than than, you know, she she always does way more. Um, than she should and, and needs to. And it's amazing how far above and beyond she goes. But there's also this sense of going, okay, well, I'm one thing I try to do as well is stay away from current events because I know that there's some good um, algorithmic benefits to jumping on current events and saying, okay, here's my take on this thing that everybody's talking about and is trending. But my thing is going, okay, well, I believe there are some timeless principles that will carry you through from a perspective of I need to get my message out there. I want to communicate honestly and passionately and authentically with people, you know, so how do I do that? And I I've seen, and, and I mean, Ziba and, and mid or, and Craig, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I see that trap that some content creators get in where it's like, what is the thing of the day? And I guess maybe for you, it's a little different because I don't know. I mean, I guess financial markets are inherently political as are so many things. Um, but I, I would rather talk about things that are a little more um, timeless. And I find that and, when I'm- And that's yeah. perfectly fine for you, right? As a yeah. content creator, you got to decide like, are you a person who's just going to do evergreen content, which is timeless and will always exist? But the thing is, there's so, there's also a lot of people making evergreen content. So how do you right. stay top yeah. of mind slash- they want to know, are you still relevant? Did you make this content 10 years ago when, you know, some of these applications didn't exist? So if like Zebo put out content on branding and now, you know, it was back when there was only like, you know, say Twitter and Facebook. And now there's like, you know, Clubhouse, TikTok. They don't like people inherently just want everything sort of fed to them, like step by step. So they want it interpreted and provided to them so they can just like ingest it. And you can argue that you want a more intellectual uh, follower and, and person, but unfortunately a lot, the mass majority, if you want to be a mass majority influencer is they mm. want it easy to process it and see. Right. And so for that, you're going to have to be able to put out that here's part two of how to speak to VCs now through a laptop versus in an auditorium at a conference when you're doing a pitch. Yeah. Um, and, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Didn't mean to. And, and so, I think that's somewhat one of the, the difficulty that you face. And so like I started doing the current events component and I, I'm gonna be honest, I talked about uh, Tesla buying Bitcoin. That's like as current as current can be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those things is because I guess a lot of people predominantly do shy away from politics. And that's because they think the mass majority of people assume politics to be, you know, what they probably saw with their parents, where it's sort of like, oh, like we're going to war or like some stu- some policy that's unrelated to me. But what people don't realize, especially for startups, is that a lot of stuff is actually government policy that does actually impact you right and that if they're going to spend some money somewhere you know something else is going to get impacted so what programs are being impacted and you know there was 
uh, as much as they said, oh, we're funding a lot of other startup programs, stuff like that. There was a lot of funding that was cut to some of the other government grant programs. And yeah, they gave money up front. But then what they said, for example, the IRAP program, the IRAP program said, you know what, if you're a business new, apply immediately uh, during the first wave of, uh, of COVID. But after that, they shut it off and they said, hey, if you had applied previously, we'll give you more money. But if you're a new business now, we're not going to give you money, which that's insanity to me that, you know, like, and people don't understand because if you're a startup, you're, you're in your own space, you're in your own lane, you come back out, you're out of your rabbit hole and you're like, where's the money? And unfortunately, if you weren't paying attention to uh, their reallocation of funds and saying, oh, we're capped, then unfortunately, politics had a huge impact to this, right? And similarly, yeah. and, and politics and tech is, is so wrapped up, especially if you look at like Twitter and uh, Facebook banning Donald Trump. And it's like, well, you know, now Biden and Tim Cook are in discussions of whether they should have like manufacturing plants and creating jobs. And so inherently politics does run a factor if you do ignore it per se. Um, in your content, it's good. It can be still good without it. Uh, but I think a lot more people will appreciate it, especially as it might tie back to, say, freedom of speech. How do you how do you go into a room uh, to pitch, you know, as for example, as a, as a white male after the Black Lives Matters movement and, you know, you're having to pitch to fundraise money for some some random thing that maybe isn't a social cause? Because a lot of people are focused on social cause last year and you're pitching for something that, let's say, helps, you know, the ultra wealthy save an extra 1% or, you know, find the best private school for your kids app, right? Well, shoot, a lot of people don't really care, but but your solution is actually could be something that's really good. And I think it's, it's something where you got to address the political scenario, like, hey, we're fortunate that this solution is for, you know, this market and this segment. And I totally understand, like, this is what's going on, but this is where it's relevant. I don't know. I think that's, I'm just personally, I want to say, Mitt, that's really inspiring to me. I think I, I'm going to think about that and try to see if I can get over my fear of like, you know, digging into certain things that I maybe don't want to touch, because I think that's a really, really good point. And, you know, the inherent political nature of our tech and entrepreneurial landscape is, yeah, it's undeniable. And the fact that, you know, just, yeah, not even to necessarily influence your your market's politics, but just to say, this is what you should be aware of. And this is what is going on. And these are the factors influencing it, I think is, is incredibly valuable. So yeah, thanks for that. Backtrack a little when I was talking about bandwagoning, not saying that don't do it if you're not comfortable or you think you'll be a bandwagoner, but read up on it and mm -hmm. figure out where the hell you stand on it and then talk about it. Because yeah like there is the bandwagon side of it, but then a lot of people in our society now, I feel like we're way more politicized than our earlier generations, than our parents. We were told to like, no, we don't talk about who we vote for. Now yeah. it's like, I can't represent clients who wouldn't vote for who I would vote for almost. Like it's that deep. Um, so so not saying anything at all, like runs a, runs a big risk. Um, especially when it comes to talking to like in our case brands and we're like, well, where the hell were you last year in June? Half of my clients, more than half of my clients are South Asian. We're a bunch of brown people. <laughs> like I need to know where these brands are and what's up and what they're saying before I go ahead and pitch one of my clients to them because I, I don't need them to not be saying something. I need them to be making sense of it and doing something about it. So it's, 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 a matter of knowing what you believe in and being comfortable to like Mitt going on YouTube every day and talking about current issues, getting over that fear of, of being in front of a camera, like just knowing where you stand and talking about it and kind of like biting that bullet to just start. I think that's, that's great. I, I appreciate both of that uh, from you guys. Cause it is a, a fear of mine. I think it's mostly born out of just, you know, like anything. Oh, there's my wife running in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and my dog have come back. Um, yes, I'm going to put myself on mute now. So my dog is not, uh, breaking everyone's eardrums. All right. So Mitt, why don't you introduce the next question with the political controversies of like what everything has been going on current news wise and event wise, uh, we've seen, you know, a lot of comments about Reddit and the wall street bets subreddit and, you know, the rise of like the retail, uh, investor, uh, and, you know, we saw how successful it was in the U.S. with like Robinhood for like stock investing. Right. Um, but unfortunately, in Canada, like we still fall behind because we've only got something like Wealth Simple, which has limited functionality versus like the U.S. counterpart. 
And there's a lot of lack of innovation, especially in regards to like fundraising or, or like fintech per se for retail investors here in Canada. Um, and there's really a, a lack of a platform uh, and that's mainly due to legislation. So, you know, how do you guys propose, you know, that startups who are trying to address this area, figure out how to navigate it further so that they can allow retail investors to access startup investments and, you know, no longer need a VC uh, to fund it, but just their own customers who might just be interested and think it's a good idea or their followers who are following their journey just to be able to invest alongside them. Um, I can jump in just to plug my, uh, you know, all of our good friends, I think here, uh, Equivesto, you know, that's, it's a great, that they're such a great example of a company that's trying to solve this problem because up until recently, which they weren't able to launch until this legislation was passed, but you had to be an accredited investor, I think, in order to invest in a private company uh, and, you know, which made absolutely no sense. And, you know, talk about just um, a social, uh, a piece of social inequality baked into legislation, like only the very wealthy could become investors in order to compound their wealth. And the fact that you can now just be 18 years old or above and have a hundred bucks and be a resident, now you can start be investing. So Equivesto is an amazing uh, company to do that. You know, I, I'm I'm not as um, savvy about how the 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 markets work, but I would say too, trying to connect with your customers, they want a story and they want a face behind the story. Um, if they want to, if they're really going to invest in your brand, and this doesn't just refer to investment, it also refers to purchasing and and following and and you know being part of your customer's journey. So the more you can put yourself out there and be comfortable being the face or the name of your brand, and the more you can start to unearth your story and go, okay, why did I start this company? Who is it for? And what is my grand vision for the world? And how do I want to make it a better place? And the more that's baked into your website and your sales collateral and your social media, and every time you speak on a podcast or something like this and are able to tell that story, I think you'll be able to attract those retail investors and you'll be able to find those loyal, you know, the thousand true fans or whatever, you'll be able to find that loyal customer base and those people who will stick by you and will buy the stuff that you're putting out. And, you know, you can raise money from if you're able to put yourself out there in a real authentic way and tell your story throughout all of your messaging, I think you have a much better chance uh, just on a, on a founder level. Ziba, did you want to jump in on this? Uh, I mean, I, I will say that investing and, and the apps that you guys have mentioned wouldn't necessarily be my wheelhouse, but in terms of storytelling and branding and brand building, that's obviously where I can lend a hand. And like to your point, well, adding, adding a personal story, if it's one person or if it's a team of people behind a company, that always is telling, right? There's always something. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to businesses and they've said, well, I don't, I don't know what the story is. Oh, but 10 years in a row, we launched at Vintage's LCBO and it's sold out always because everyone loves the winemaker who's from Chile and this story and they work with the indigenous company. It's like, well, we just unearthed a whole narrative there. It's so important. So uh, I think a lot of times companies or brands will they'll get ahead of themselves and they won't remember kind of where they started and what that real story is. Uh, and there's always a story to tell. There's always something that, that can be said that can add value. Um, it's getting to that and it's getting to the point where you can communicate it authentically because what the heck does authentic mean? That's also a pain point for a lot of companies tapping into those things, I think is like number one in, in making a business or a person or influencer or whoever um, attractive. I agree. But when we talk about Robin Hood and well, simple, I mean, things do have to change from a um, startup investment point of view and equity crowdfunding is just, you know, a little sliver of that. I mean, which is great because it's, it is really changing the landscape on where people are getting funding. Even recently we had uh, companies I've interviewed here in our community, Award Pool, Aerolife, all had been overfunded through Equivesto and um, Cordelia's Locket. Um, I keep thinking closet, but Locket, which is a cafe. They've, uh, they were overfunded and they have more coming up. And so it's good news to see this kind of thing. But uh, what we really need is a secondary market. And though, um, there is technically some companies that have been approved for that. I haven't seen any action on that. So I don't want to drop any names right now because I haven't seen 
and I don't know where they're going and has OSC final finally proved it and they're good to go. But that stuff is supposed to be happening and I don't know who will jump into that. But when they allow um, us to say, okay, Mitt, I've invested in these early stage startups, uh, but I want to offload, you know, a little bit of my portfolio of AeroLife and I want to pick up some of, I don't know, um, Exomatic. Uh, can we trade? <laughs> <laughs> whether it's that way or whether it's actually on a, a uh, actual market, which would be better, I th I think we need to go there. Um, I'm hoping with all of this stuff and they're talking about digital currency and the move forward that we're going to start seeing this. And one of the um, things I've seen around uh, recently is the word of 2021 will be fractional. Now, if you've been in our community for a while, you've known that's been a word for a long time, but is this finally getting the light of day where fractional ownership, which allows this kind of stuff to happen. Is that, is that going to be the way to go? Yeah. I mean, I, I echo your sentiments, Craig. I think the biggest issue right now, especially if you're an early stage investor, whether it's in Canada, us or anywhere in the world, if you're an angel investor, you have no real liquidity to your investments per se either. And you know what life happens. Sometimes your friends and family may support you, but they, they're like, well, if I give you the money, it's just, might as well just like threw it into a garbage can and lit it on fire because I'm not getting it back unless, you know, you succeed. And that might be in 10 years. I'm never going to see it. There's too much, I guess, negative stigma of that being the case of like, hey, I want to support my friend, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to get the money back until they really hit it big versus there's an opportunity where, you know what, someone else who might be in the market can see a value in it and be able to buy in a secondary market. I think what 2020 and 2021 and, you know, what the COVID pandemic has really shown us is that, you know, what we held as what is reality and what what are the rules of the system were really broken where people said you have to work, go into the office and work, you know, working from remotely, that'll never really work out. All of a sudden you have like 90% of like a, an organization like TD Bank who said that would be impossible. Like everybody's now working from home. I think Scotia Bank just uh, and Scotia Plaza just gave up like a couple of the top of their floors because they're like, these people don't need to be there anymore. Similarly, I guess the rise of all these other items have said that, you know what, regulators, you really need to, you know, step up and, be, and go ahead of the curve. It'll be interesting. I, I really hope that like OSC and some of the other regulators do go out and hire from the tech startup community uh, who actually understand how these technologies work and figure out how to, you know, um, guide and be along the way. Uh, my colleague, Adam, Adam Reeds uh, of London.io, they just had raised a fund. Um, you know, they are, you know, they have a platform where you can, you know, lend Bitcoin to others or even uh, borrow against your Bitcoin and be, be able to do things. So this provider market, like they created a market that actually allowed people who were investing in, say, Bitcoin to be able to still access cash when they needed it. Obviously not at like for free, but, you know, they paid interest on it. And so these technologies had to adapt. In, in that short period of time. And hopefully it continues to do so where, you know, there is a secondary market for investors, but not even just investors, but for employees of startups where it's like, hey, I, I'm working for the startup. I have so much equity, you know, Craig, you want some Xmatic shares here? Let me sell you some. So at least that way I can take some money as well, or, you know, of whatever company and people who work for all these different startups have that capacity. This was actually in a newsletter out of the States of a startup pitch where they wanted to make this market available. But again, it was something where they're like the US first, right? And and it's unfortunate that the SEC and the US regulators are way more open than I would say Canadian and even European regulators. Um, and what, and I guess from a different avenue, China is even more open to testing and, and regulation per se, because they've been able to do a lot of autonomous vehicle testing saying like, here you go. You can basically have the city to do whatever you want. Okay, no problem. Put your cars here. Let's bring your technology here, build it out. And inherently what we what I guess the world is realizing is whichever country allows innovation or doesn't halt it for entrepreneurs is the one that's going to thrive and succeed. So I interviewed and talked to a few companies, one of which was the first OSC approved secondary market here in Canada. But again, you know, this was, I haven't seen much action on it. And this was over a year ago where they got the approval. So I'm trying to see where all that's going to go. And there was a couple other ones. So it's happening, but all this stuff that's regulated, you get approval, then you get a wait, then you get approval. Then we've got these other questions that need to be answered. Then there's a lot of back and forth with that. I think the difficulty is because at the end of the day, they, these guys can be as advanced in tech as they want. 
but at the end of the day, the OSC is going to go back to paper or like to some documents and manually review this thing versus having uh, tech or software to help automate that process of them doing the verification checks and stuff like that as well. Is and there no, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Craig. I was just going to ask though, is there no like risk um, of sort of the deregulation of this space as well? This is, I guess, again, a political argument, but like if the deregulation occurs in this space as well, is it that we're not as big as the banks and as big as the mortgage industry? So there's no risk of creating an, you know, overinflated um, mess of a bubble that's going to fuck everything up or. Right. right. Yeah. So I would say, you know, inherently I'd say we are somewhat in a tech bubble too. There's, you have so limited options, right? You had companies that IPO like Airbnb at a valuation that basically double in public markets. Is that because institutions are paying for it? No way. It's because the retail investor wants action on tech startups. Yeah. They don't know any better. They're not, they're reading the PL and they don't realize that, oh shit, these guys burned through $30 billion and they still have no path to profitability. But it's cool. I want to invest in DoorDash. I want to buy a share of Airbnb. But when Airbnb, like during the start of the pandemic, was going to go bankrupt and they had to get financing to be able to survive through it. And then they raised that at three times valuation of what they were trying to go before. So, like, when you, when you ask that, it's like, no, there's a thirst for people. And that's actually a, a large argument accredited investors say, where they're like, oh, I'm an accredited investor. You know, I know my risk and I'm willing to lose my money. Well, what do you think these people are going to do otherwise? They're going to go and play pro line or they're going to yeah. go buy some penny stock, you know, that for a company that RTO and because they have so limited options, they're going to just throw their money at it and be like, let me get a moonshot return versus seeing their actual friend's business right? So if Ziba or your software, like, you know what, I'm raising some money. Yeah, you can go through Equivesto, but it should be all, and even with Equivesto, there's a whole process, right? You want a faster and faster process. And until, you know, the regular, and, and there's a cap to how much you can even raise with them as well, which is ridiculous, right? Because all of a sudden, if you're somehow a much larger organization, and you go public, you can raise however much money you want, right? And inherently that's been a large factor of what's limiting Canada. Like in Canada, like the investor profile of the angels and of the VCs here is way more conservative than that of the U S which is where when they did uh, the analysis, they realized that, you know, one in 30 companies here is actually succeeding at like fundraising versus, you know, one in three is basically fundraising all of the money that they're looking for in an angel round. They're raising seed rounds or seed and series A rounds and angel rounds in the States, right? And and it's not due to the lack of interest here, it's just due to the lack of availability. Right. Yeah, that's a common theme. There's a couple of things there, like US funds are usually bigger, so they don't mind doing, you know, a lot of what Canadian startups are asking for is a drop in the bucket versus some of the Canadian funds. It's a, they need this one to succeed to be part of their portfolio, and so they're way risk averse. So there are thousands and thousands of U.S. funds out there. If you're looking, go after them. Just just make sure you know they're aligned with you. Go go after those investors who actually invest in your type of companies. But also expect that uh, they want you to go after the U.S. market. They don't give a crap about the Canadian market. So if you're talking to a U.S. investor, you better have a U.S. market plan. Tell me I'm wrong, Mitt. Tell me I'm wrong. You're you're not wrong. Okay, I see you laughing there. I just said, you know, we they just don't care. And with that, Will, why don't you introduce our last topic? If you, how do you deal with the emotional ups and downs? And I'm talking about when things get like really bad uh, as a founder, what are the coping mechanisms and what are the mindsets that you use in order to get you through those times? I mean, some of that can be from external factors like running out of runway or, you know, worrying about how you're going to pay people. And, and that is obviously horrible. But then there's also just, you know, for me, certainly emotional hills and valleys. And when you get down there and you're like, I fucking hate my company. I don't want to do this anymore. I resent having to like work at this thing and nobody's motivating me because it's my thing. And yeah. So what do you, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to know what you guys do when you, when you face that. I can go. Um, so, so a couple of weeks ago, actually, I was feeling that burnout. I think part of it was the optimism for whatever reason of January and turning the corner of a new year. And miraculously, we all thought the world would be easier and better. And then it wasn't. And then I was in the trenches of like January where we were doing a lot of planning and less results. Uh, so definitely a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of in that burnout feel. Um, one was being honest about it and recognizing it because so quickly I'll be like, 
I got a kid, I got a dog, I got food to cook. Like I'll just keep trekking through and figure it out. And if I keep doing then I won't worry about it. Um, so owning it was the first thing I think is Mm. what I need to do is acknowledging that it's there. And second is to keep moving. So, uh, I just ramped up on like getting outside, getting fresh air. Um, we, typical like peak COVID bought a spin bike so I can go downstairs and just get on the bike and ride it out a little bit. So that helped a lot. Uh, and reading because I hadn't been reading, uh, so much last year, I kind of try to make it a priority, but obviously fell off as did a lot of things. Uh, so, and then just trying to like read, get less off, get more offline, sorry. And, uh, into real world things like a book where I can just focus in on one thing as opposed to swiping through a bunch of things um, that'll that'll tax me. Yeah. Sorry, Zeb. I'm just curious. Do you read fiction, nonfiction, or both? Uh, usually nonfiction. Actually, I like to read a lot of like self help type books. Uh, I read business books, parenting books. I'm kind of all over, but definitely nonfiction lately. Yeah. And Mitt, how do you cope? Yeah, Will, I think this is something, you know, when they show you that chart, right, of like the entrepreneur's journey, ups and downs, like it's very factual. You really, I think one of the things is like if you quit because of like it just being too stressful for you, like I, it's like you stopped halfway through. It's like get to it. Um, I, I think part of it is also stepping back and saying, what do I like and what do I not like? And I, and this was a step or an action that I took early last year, which is I wrote down sort of like my core values. I sort of reflected on what worked for me, what didn't work for me, what do I like doing, what do I not like doing? I inherently accepted there's still things in my business that I have to do that I don't necessarily like and I'm still going to do it for now. But I sort of created a plan of like, how do I get away from doing that? And then just block, and as I said, when I started off this off, it's like, I block off time now for like, this is Mitt's time to read, like listen to my audio book and for me to like watch TV or for me to hang out with friends and stuff like that. Similarly, Craig, when you were talking about the whole social media stuff, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm really not on my personal social media anymore since I had to start becoming like influencer type. So like, if anything, I'm looking at it for like 15 minutes. I'm jump, I, I jump in for clubhouse for maybe a little bit, but it's like, everything is that cutoff. So like I try to like calendar everything out and just like say, these are the limits. And I just inherently accept there's going to be some days where I'm just not going to like it. And it's okay. It's like that day just needs to be over. I'm going to go to sleep and then I'll make a decision. If, if I'm feeling like this consistently, then clearly something's wrong. But I also moved myself to Jamaica for a little bit and got myself uh, into a better situation too. So um it was just trying to find the little things that you enjoy uh, and making sure you're able to do those during the day as well. Um, because then you can sort of balance out that, you know what, for me, I don't, I personally am not a great writer. So if you told me that I had to write for a week straight, I would be like, this is killing me. I can't do this. Like, and I, and I inherently accept like when I do a writing test, it's going to take a little while longer. Uh, so I throw in something that I enjoy doing too. And then that way it's like, Oh, like it's, it wasn't a bad day. It was like a so-so day. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible versus, um, and, and especially because we're in service space, my, my biggest recommendation, I actually looked at what, what was frustrating me, especially in my service-based business versus like say the startup. And I realized that it was, the book was called profit first. Uh, but outside of that, that component, it was, I I looked at who were my most is profit first and built to sell those both, both those books where I was like, who are my most relatively annoying clients or people that I just dread dealing with? And it just like, you know, sure, the, sure, I can make some money. Sure, uh, I'm helping them. The ones that I should like, go, oh, they weren't listening to any of my advice. They weren't following anything. And then they would just come and complain and whatever. And I said, you know what? It's not taking time per se from me. It's taking my emotional, mental capacity. It's yeah. taking so much of my head. Even though we don't really do that much work per se, it's just when I think of them, it's like, oh my God, I don't want it. And I just said, you know what? This doesn't make sense for me. Similarly, if you're a startup and you're dealing with a lot of stuff where you have, you feel like you're overwhelmed, you have so much on your plate, you know, XYZ person's doing so many things. Forget about what XYZ person is doing. Identify the, like, you know, the, the number one or number two things you want to do. And then just like cross them off your list or like figure out a plan to just get those done. And that's going to inherently push your business a lot further versus saying like, I got 10 things to do and I'm going to do 10% on each one. That's, 
that grind is, is such a hard grind and like you're gonna burn out by the time you were able to like bring everything to a hundred percent that's awesome. Yeah, I, it's good to hear that you you've moved yourself into a better situation like here we are in the middle of winter this is um the hardest time mentally for me um i'm a rapid cycle manic depressive um and i think we get a lot of that in the entrepreneurial thing you know go 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 and then all of a sudden it's i hate everyone and everything or everyone and everything hates me and i don't want to and you know it, it is a battle and that's why you know i ride my bike everywhere in the summer i have a routine where i'm getting out and doing things I get up early in the morning, I do work, and then when I'm getting stir crazy, I go for a bike ride somewhere and end up at a Starbucks or a coffee shop and work. COVID has really put a damper on that because I can't actually go anywhere and be in a different situation that is like physically other people moving around that is like I'm in an office or a different place. And it really has been a problem for me. Now, I have got the treadmill in the garage that really helps, but you know, it's not very pleasant on negative 12 degrees the days. Um, so getting out in the sun really helps. So this is definitely the dog days for me. And just talking to people and and making less decisions and having block time. You know, this is, is what I work on for two hours today. And, and after that, I work on this. And after that, I work on that. And as Mitt said, you know, you got to book some time in there. Say, yeah, okay, these are the things. I'm building 100 new templates and I'm 50 way through. And today it's like, fuck, I don't want to do templates. But you only got two hours. To, you only have to work on it for two hours. And then you can work. Okay, yeah. And that helps. You know, it helps. But having that list of stuff to do and not um, cluttering your mind with the stupid decisions, because any decision, wearing blue or red, wear this shoe or that shoe, whether I should click on this social media or that, it takes up all this mental juice. And then you've, you're just sitting down at your computer and you're done. <laughs> uh, funny enough, Craig, uh, during COVID as well, like I guess the last year, I was on YouTube trying to like find... A random activities for like physical exercise since like gyms got shut down so like i think i did like two days of like karate and and random things to be like what is what is it like gonna get me going um and i actually ended up hiring a, a trainer who i saw outside for a bit and then we actually just do zoom workouts and i found that still that time of interacting with someone who wasn't necessarily like in my immediate circle was a, as a way to decompress um, and I've also fortunately been uh, a part of a smaller uh, group of entrepreneurs who we sort of like meet up once a month where we sort of talk about our challenges and stuff like that as well and our successes. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, you can call it like a self-help group or, or what have you, but it, I, it's just a couple of people getting together and just chatting. And it's great because you start to realize like, holy crap, like we're all going through somewhat of the same thing. Yeah. So you, you know, when you're going through it sometimes yourself, you're like, oh, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Like, oh, I should... I should push through. I should go faster. I need to go faster. And it's like, no, no, no. Like you can slow down for a bit and, and figure things out. Um, and uh, Ziva, like, I guess going back to the the books. Um, yeah. A lot of nonfiction, like autobiographies of other entrepreneurs and reading through their challenges makes it be like, like, sheesh, I guess we're all going through the same thing. Right. And, and it really does take a burden off because Again, with social media and all these other platforms, it really does cloud you to be like, oh, my God, that guy, um, I forget his name right now, Craig, your, your buddy who was on at like 3 a.m. and stuff He's like, or, or he's, he was on all the time. It's like, oh, my God, he does it for 16 hours a day. I need to do it. It's like, no, 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 like, that's fine. That's the life he wants to live. And it's okay. Yeah, yeah. my life is, is going to be different. And, and that's perfectly fine. Just for the record, it was me who was on at 3 a.m. Um <laughs> Because you know, I don't I, know why you had coffee at three a.m. That bothers yeah. Me. Why are I'm you up. drinking coffee yeah. at three a.m.? I'm up. I'm up. Wake. I'm up. I sit down on my computer. I brew coffee, and I say, so that's when I turn on Clubhouse because I'm waking up. I'm listening, and I'm doing the stuff, and I don't find anything interested. I've never listened past say seven a.m. I don't think ever, <laughs> just because it's. Are you? You're a night. I guess you're a night owl then. Yeah, it's just it. Uh, I'm up early, and you know, used to be I'd be up or before five. But for some reason with COVID and winter, I um, it's three now. So I think when the summer hours come and I'm out later because the sunshine and whatever, it'll return to a five. But yeah, Bobby was on during the day so much. But yeah, he was missing yeah. all this stuff. Um, I guess it's, it's your bedtime soon, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's, 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 uh, it's getting to my bedtime now, unfortunately. I got I to gotta sign off and have dinner. 
yeah, I think we'll be uh, wrapping it up. I thank you, everyone, for uh, and, uh, joining us today. Thank you for this great discussion. I appreciate all of this. But um, let's do one more round. Final words, and where can people go if they want to find out more? Let's start with you, Mitt. Yeah, guys, if, if you're looking to kind of decompress, have some financial relief, you know, my, my channel is Mitt Perrin, um, you know, your financial therapist to actually help address your financial questions and stuff like that. Otherwise, on Instagram, it's Mitt Perrin. Um, and if you're looking for accounting support or any sort of support in regards to your business, or if you're a real estate investor trying to figure things out, um, visit us at www.galleoncpa.ca. Will? Yeah, if you're looking for content about how to improve your public speaking and improve your storytelling and performance and virtual content creation uh, and starting to become more comfortable to share your story with the, with the world, both online and uh, as a coach or consultant or anything like that, uh, you can find me at Will Greenblatt on LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, our website is outloudnow.com. And this powerful pitch course that we're running, it starts uh, in a week. So you can still sign up. Uh, I think there's still early bird tickets uh, and it's powerful pitch at Eventbrite. Uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. I, I definitely recommend Will. Even now, I sometimes say, how now, brown cow? So <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. Uh, that's a throwback. Uh, over to you, Ziva. Yeah, so for anyone who is interested in learning more about influencer marketing or is an influencer and wants to talk about brand partnerships and how to monetize their platforms, or if you're a business looking for traditional public relations, social media management, uh, my name is Ziba Dantis. So you can find me on Instagram at Ziba Dantis or also uh, our business handle at Sway MGMT. Uh, our website is also SwayMGMT.com. Thank you again for being part of Startup Face Off. Thanks for having us. This has been Startup Talk, Toronto's startup podcast. For more exclusive content, the episode vault, and to be part of Toronto Starts community, visit torontostarts.com. Get your name on the newsletter mailing list and check out our upcoming events. For more episodes, subscribe now. And please recognize the time and work behind the scenes put into connecting you with the biggest visionaries, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Toronto by leaving a five-star review. Join us for more next episode from Toronto's most active entrepreneur and startup community on Startup Talk.